Okay, hello, and welcome back to the Anxiety Book Club. This is episode number 36, and I'm very pleased to be joined by this month's guest, Locke Kelly. Locke Kelly is a meditation teacher, psychotherapist, and founder of the nonprofit Effortless Mindfulness Institute. He is also the author of this month's book, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness, A Revolutionary Guide for Living an Awakened Life. So thank you, Locke, for being here today. Thank you, Joshua. Nice to be here and happy to talk about this subject in depth. Mm. I always get, uh, I don't know if starstruck's the right word, but when I'm talking to someone whose meditations I've done many times, it's right. uh, it's always an interesting <laughs> sensation. You're hearing my voice live now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know, it's a little jarring when I hear Sam Harris come on, because I also listen to his somewhat... Um, well, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but he gets into topics yeah, that are sure. not at all about mindfulness. So uh, <laughs> right. it, it can be a little different. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I've am i been reading your book here and uh, really enjoying the glimpse practices available through your platform, as we were yeah. uh, mentioning before we started, and also what's available on the meditation app Insight Timer. Yep. And also on Sam Harris's meditation app, uh, Waking Up, where I first uh, was introduced to you. That's um, great. Yeah, so uh, if you'd like, maybe you could give uh, a little bit of introduction about yourself, or or I'll dive sure. right into the questions. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can kind of sprinkle in some uh, background and bio as, as it's relevant as we go along, uh, but basically... From early on in life, I've found myself interested in consciousness, psychology, <laughs> reality, um, and you know, just kindness and healing and um, and states of mind, and just very curious always about what's going on inside and outside. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to pursue that by being able to go to graduate school and off to. Sri Lanka, India, and Nepal, and um, have, you know, kind of brought them together, neuroscience, psychology, and meditation, and particularly a form of kind of direct practice or kind of an advanced form of mindfulness that is actually uh, simpler, but um, a unique form that um, has a good support for psychology in its in its kind of finding and creating this sense of okayness or well-being or discovering uh essential no self or essential self depending on what language you're using hmm, totally totally and so much to unpack there um i think the the notion of okayness is a really interesting one yeah and i definitely have a personal relationship to it i think you know, growing up, uh, whether you're faced with a real or a, an imagined emergency, the sense of being okay um, often seems to be the kind of thing that we're trying to get back to. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, that's the simplest, you know, <laughs> simplest realization or what mental health and psychology and meditation uh, from this kind of direct practice tradition, um, which is, has different names and, but, uh, it basically says that, uh, that essentially 
when we can access our most primary consciousness, there's a sense of okayness, interconnectedness, well-being, non-fear, non-worry, and even non-shame. And then the contents of consciousness come up and form into these patterns around body and mind and survival and threat and um, uh, work and relationship that start to also be included. And it's, so it's not an either or, uh, or it's not a getting rid of or one versus the other, but it's what is it like if the sense of okayness or well-being, which is not a philosophy or not a belief, but an actual most direct experience, what if that's primary? Sometimes I like to say, what if it's 51%? Mm. <laughs> okay, what if you're feeling, and then everything else is welcome? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, what's nice about some of these um, philosophies or ways of understanding is that not only are they sort of useful for making us uh, feel, you know, feel well-being, but they're also, you know, it's a sort of a beautiful idea that our our primary or our base level you know, when, when we've um, unpacked a lot of the sort of wrapping paper we've accumulated over our lives is um, is a sort of positive or at least peaceful thing. Because mm-hmm. um, it could have been the case that it isn't, right? Like, absolutely. Could have done all this effortless mindfulness and found that like our base level is, I don't know, something else. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, and I think most, if you start from top down, from our current uh, experience and mental, uh, even psychological, theological, um, you know, the view from the, the ego center or that, um, mental manager, I think therefore I am, it can't see the okayness and it can see the negativity bias in the brain. It can see the survival fear and fight, flight, freeze, and it can see shame and guilt and uh, not being able to do what we want to do. And um, so the theologies of, you know, being a sinner or the, you know, uh, original sin or um, from psychology, you know, the negativity bias or trauma-based identities that, uh, you know, you've developed you know, if you didn't get bonding early on, then, you know, you don't have a stable self, um, or have dominated most of our Western views and been, you know, if you only take certain scientific supports, you know, you can be convinced of that. So really this is um, kind of an opportunity to present this as a hypothesis, not something to believe in. So, you know, what if there was an essential awareness that was contentless, timeless, and yet palpable and connected to your energetic system and your body and identity that wasn't based in fear or worry or striving, and you could not only rest there, but then you could move from there and 
feel this ground of being and return there and then actually move from there. So you could do from being in kind of what some people talk about as kind of a flow consciousness. Right. Sort of maybe like an, an, an agenda, agendaless place. Um, yeah, agendaless in some ways, but then you can also focus and do a task that has a, you know, a, a relative agenda, but the agenda isn't, you know, success or failure equals uh, I'm no good, mm. you know. Right, right. So we can still get the things we need to get done, or we can still sort of honor the intentions of like parts of us that maybe yes. have good ideas that are worth carrying out, but Absolutely. in a less um, maybe attached or delusional way. Mm -hmm. So I have a part now that's encouraging yep. me to set a little context here for our okay. audience. <laughs> uh, so I think what, what we're going to be talking about and what we've already started getting into pretty quickly is um, a set of practices that are our meditation or mindfulness practices um, that are um, aimed at sort of the same aims, perhaps, as what is being taught um, more popularly, you know, in the U.S. at, you know, uh, Vipassana retreats or, you know, insight-based retreats, um, you know, these five or seven day situations where you go and, and um you know, uh, sit and walk and, and learn about yourself. Um, but it's also slightly different, mm -hmm. um, in the way that, in the way that you, um, spend that time, mm -hmm. you know, either, you know, sitting or however, but, and, and the, the outcome is also perhaps slightly different, but it's, mm -hmm. it's all aimed at this, um, idea of increasing well-being and, and noticing, I, I don't know if nirvana is maybe an overloaded term, but something, something nice or, or peaceful. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the, you know, this, you know, it's hard to describe that, uh, that sense of even using words like peace or well-being that I was using or okayness. It, it's not the, you know, the, there's a quote from the, you know, the, uh, uh, Christian literature, the peace that passes understanding. So it's also not the peace of like, oh, I'm agitated. Oh, no, I'm peaceful. Oh, I'm unhappy. No, I'm happy with a small H. Hmm. You know, it's not relative state. It's not a positive thought or a um, elevated mood. It, it's something that's the context rather than the content. So it's your essential uh, identity or nature of mind. So what is the nature of mind? Uh, you know, those kind of classic questions, who am I? Uh, what is the essential, uh, what, you know, sense of self that's here prior to you developing language and social identity and even interspersed with genetics and conditioning uh, what's the foundation or ground um, is that and and that's the um, that's the what meditation is taking you to in these different approaches they're taking you to see if you can 
kind of one of the Zen sayings is, you know, muddy water, let stand, becomes clear. So that's a kind of a feeling and a kind of a resting or sitting method of accessing this clarity that's been there all along and isn't affected, the sky is not affected by the weather, uh, but it can be seem like it fills the sky, but it doesn't fill space if you open further to space. So this is, um, you know, and then the relationship in terms of mental health is, okay, so then when you're in your essential identity, what's the relationship to thoughts, feelings, sensations, moods, uh, parts of you that are anxious, worried, judgmental, um, and that's the unique uh, approach of bringing them both together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's probably worth saying that as far as conversation goes, the this stuff we're talking about today is a little bit hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, the words that we would normally use to describe, you know, phenomena, they maybe fail us a little bit just because what we're talking about, as you said, is more than just a philosophy. It's yes. more than something to be understood. It's something to be felt or, or to be glimpsed. Yes. Um, so I'd encourage, you know, any listeners who are intrigued but maybe confused by this conversation to, um, you know, to do, to to try on some of this um, work. And, and I hope that also today during this conversation, maybe we can do a glimpse or two mm-hmm. just to sure. give, you know, anyone listening a, a sense of of what we're pointing towards yes absolutely yeah yeah that's the thing is that um you know we've we're so reliant on uh thought-based knowing and object-based uh focusing that the more background awareness and the more subtle dimension of uh, peace of mind and uh, alertness from a non-thought-based awareness, which is what happens when people get into flow state. So one of the ways to introduce this is to say that this kind of initial, what what we're called kind of awakening to this uh, nature of mind or uh, awareness-based knowing or ground of being or uh, essential well-being, um, most people, you know, can't find it with thinking, with effort, with will, but most people in their free time do something to access this, but they don't know that what they're doing is accessing this. They think it's about the activity. So if I, you know, when I'm in a room, I ask, okay, what do you do in your free time that you love to do? And people will start to list the classic things. I go for a walk, you know, I go, I exercise, I dance, I play music, I listen to music, I go swimming, I, um, you know, write poetry, I uh, garden, I... Uh, play with children. So all of these things, like walking in the woods, 
you know, with a group of friends climbing a hill or a mountain, standing at the top, letting go of doing and seeking, looking out over this vista, feeling connected to the trees and the sky, that we we're actually doing it to let go of the doer or the seeking mind or the I think therefore I am and drop into more embodied and interconnected flow consciousness. Yeah, I think that's a great way to make it approachable uh, because so many people can identify with those experiences. Um, I think there may be some of some of us who have a hard time, um, who don't have as many of those sort of wholesome hobbies that you've just enumerated, um, that find the chatter of our minds accompanying them, you know, almost all the time. Um, uh, I know that for me, depending on how I'm feeling, a bike ride can either be very pleasant or it can be... Um, an opportunity for my mind to just continue chattering, you know, as I'm, as I'm on it. Um, but I have found that through getting used to some of the glimpse practices, maybe we'll do one here in a moment. Um, I have been able to flip the switch, so to speak, and, uh, just take in more of my present experience. And still, instead of having this sort of narrow focus of, of whatever is being chattered about. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Yeah. So that's the, you know, there's, you know, to talk about anxiety and stress, <clears throat> you know, from many levels, certainly the first level is that, um, you know, just stress of agitation and work, uh, just getting your mind going with tasks and then uh, what's called high beta, if you look at alpha, beta, <clears throat> gamma, if you look at the EEG, they measure beta as thought-based. If you're in low beta, you can focus, but if you're in high beta, you're in this uh, sympathetic nervous system is on, you're in fight or flight, your mind is trying to figure out, you know, what to do, how to be safe, how to be, and then it just is like a computer that just keeps running, uh, self, you know, kind of self uh circulating, um, and how to either through calming physical practices, um, soothing practices or meditation practices, or what we'll do is to actually soothe the body and the nervous system and the mind through stepping into the already calm more spacious mind or dropping down from the head center into more the embodied and more heart space rather than being in the head space and then feeling that's kind of an open uh, area that's not spaced out but is, you know, very much here but not mentally um, ruminating. Hmm. Yeah, one of the most popular meditation apps these days is called Headspace. So maybe they need to rename that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we're the the next generation. Headspace to awake space to 
hard space. So uh, I don't know if you have one in mind, but I jotted down that I really enjoyed the glimpse on page 55. But um, yeah, if you're willing, if you have a sure. favorite or something you want to walk which us one, through. Which one? What's the name of that this one? This one's called The Four Postures of Dynamic Stillness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good one. Um, so that does kind of go through uh kind of a guided focus on different levels of our experience um and finding grounding in each uh so I'll I'll do that as a why don't we do that as a warm up and then we can do kind of shorter ones that's a full one um so for those who are not driving a car <laughs> and for those who are you know interested in not only listening to this dialogue, but uh, to take a minute or two and settle in to a way of comfortably resting. And your eyes can be opened or closed, whichever you feel is most restful for you. And then we're just going to focus on these four dimensions of stillness or rest. So first we'll start with your body and just allow your awareness to notice that you're sitting. Feel the support and the contact with cushion or chair and that resting or pressure And just let that stillness of the body, like a mountain, be throughout your body, just knowing you don't have to move, but on the most physical level, just allow that stillness to be noticed. And then just notice within your body where your breath is dynamically moving and your energy of thought, feelings, and sensations moving. Inside and out, there's a stillness of space. So first notice it within your still body while sensations are moving and breath is moving, there's space. And then curiously opening your awareness to the space in the room, maybe all the way to the walls. Even as the dynamic stillness of breath is happening inside and also, breath goes out. Follow that breath out to notice this more spacious awareness that's equally outside and within, in front of you, above you, below you, left of you, or the right of you, and even behind you in this panoramic 
field of awareness-based alertness that's effortlessly mindful. And then just notice the dynamic stillness of your breath, which connects the outside and inside as well as the space, and allows your body to feel like an ocean rising and falling. And then notice that pause of stillness and then also movement so that now stillness and movement are happening. And notice that there's an awareness that isn't coming and going that's aware of stillness and movement. And then just include the more subtle energy of sensations in your body, sound outside and inside, just vibration without interest in labeling and without even interested in labeling thoughts. So let physical sensations and mental sensations be just dancing aliveness, appearing to this alert, still awareness that doesn't come and go. So just shifting from thought-based headspace to this more awake space that doesn't need to orient to thought to be. And as this awake space, notice like an ocean of awareness is arising as the aliveness of your body, energetically connected to everyone and everything in the room in kind of a sense of not being separate on one level and clearly distinguished on another. And just rest as this, see if there's a sense of okayness, non-worry, non-striving in this essential awareness. And then from here, just curiously feeling and welcoming all parts of you. So that from this non-striving awareness, notice that all parts, if there's a striving part, judging part, thinking part, just allow them to be part of you, appearing to you, more this essential awareness-based, embodied clarity. Notice a kind of open-hearted welcoming that has the capacity to be with any part of you that arises, judgmental, fear, worry, 
emotional mood, sadness, as part of you, not as big as the space that you're aware from. And just notice that all is welcome from this new view and this new sense of you. And enjoy. So if you listen to this again on this podcast, you can give yourself even more time to kind of... Um, yeah, thank you very much, Locke. That marinate was really rather than meditate. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah. So that's one of the longer glimpses, but it is, you know, a thorough one in that it <clears throat> takes you through the dimensions of consciousness without just staying with your, <clears throat> you know, attention on contents of consciousness as is done in most traditional mindfulness meditations. Yes, and that's actually what I wanted to ask you about. Um, so yeah, you're making this distinction between in the effortful mindfulness practices, um, and this is probably just something good to preface sure. or, or just inform the audience about. There's this sense of you, and then the sense of you looking at things or noticing things. Um, which I guess in this case would be the contents. Yeah. Um, whereas in what we've just practiced, the encouragement is more about context. Um, could you just maybe tease those two apart a little bit? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'll say just in terms of um, the terms, uh, one of my uh, Tibetan teachers said there's two types of mindfulness, deliberate mindfulness and effortless mindfulness. And so, what 99% of people practice uh, that they call mindfulness is deliberate mindfulness. And so it goes through more of a traditional um, early, what's called Theravada or insight meditation or Vipassana. Those are the stories of or the history, uh, mostly in Sri Lanka, Burma, and Thailand. And then the next tradition is often is called Mahayana, and that's known mostly by Zen or Chan meditation. And then from there, there's a development of this non-dual tradition in Mahayana called Mahamudra. And then Tibetan Buddhism um, developed uh, a full tradition called Vajrayana, which is very complex, but the highest or most simple direct level of that's called Dzogchen. So this is, uh, and that's what my teacher was talking about in terms of effortless mindfulness, is more Dzogchen or Mahmudra style, which basically is saying, and he, what he said is that he had done these traditional three, three-year retreats where they're in retreat for three years, studying, doing all these mantras and visualizations. And by the third third three-year retreat, he realized that his realization wasn't any different than when he was 16 years old. And his uncle, who was a direct practice, kind of effortless mindfulness teacher, had kind of given him this short meditation. And he realized this kind of essential well-being and okayness and 
interconnection with his liveliness. So he realized that maybe that's all we need and maybe that's the best form for the West. <clears throat> so very simply, uh, you can build on deliberate mindfulness and move to effortless mindfulness by, you know, first traditionally focusing on your breath. But when you focus on your breath, in terms of neuroscience, what you're doing is you're kind of repressing your default mode network, which is your kind of internal, and you're turning on your task mode network, which basically means you develop a calm, but it's a kind of a kind of a calm, numb focus that you can't continue out into the world and do um, relational or complex tasks. Otherwise, you feel like a robot. Then the second level of deliberate mindfulness is you start to kind of name or label uh, thoughts, feelings, and sensations called the four fine foundations of mindfulness, thoughts, feelings, sensations, and mind objects. And you keep watching, and the insight here is, oh, the focuser on my breath that I thought I was, that location, the subject, is now the object. So as you focus on your breath, and then you ask the question, well, are you aware of your breath? Yes. Are you aware of where you're focusing from? Then you kind of step back into this, what I call mindful move, and you start to look at is there a solid self in your head looking at your breath? And what you see at this deliberate mindfulness level is, oh, there's not a self that's solid. There's thoughts, sensations, and feelings coming and going moment to moment, arising and passing. And you start to become aware from a mindful witness where you can <clears throat> mindfully stand up and mindfully pick up a cup, but you're still in this kind of point of view. And so where effortless mindfulness begins is actually seeing what's aware of that meditator and not just pulling the camera straight back to another point of view, but beginning to open like we did when we said, are you aware of the space in the room uh, all the way to the walls? And then are you aware kind of as that space that's both inside and out that's arising as thoughts, feelings, and sensations. So what it does is it gives you not a detached witness, which is where you end up with deliberate mindfulness, but a more embodied, open-hearted, more juicy, uh, but um, full clarity from awareness-based knowing that's embodied and interconnected with everything and everyone. Um, and that, so that when I first experienced it, I, I felt like I was laughing and crying and like going, what in the world? My eyes were open. I felt a kind of joy. And I felt like I wasn't a robot. I was actually, you know, kind of freed up. And then from there, you can start to do the healing work of psychology because you have this bigger capacity 
uh, to be with trauma or traumatized parts of you that have been repressed and are bigger than the normal ego or even bigger than a mindful witness or but now there's this kind of loving open-hearted awareness that can allow the kind of exiled parts of us to um, come up and unburden those beliefs and hurts that um, have been held because of the lack of capacity to um, to be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to get to that part of the synergy between the sort of internal family systems and and what you're presenting, which obviously you and um, Richard Schwartz have worked together. So there's mm-hmm. obviously lots of overlap there. But I just want to ask about one thing you just said. Yeah. So in the normal insight practices, that part you mentioned about them encouraging you to notice the point from which all things mm-hmm. are emanating, I feel like I didn't even get that. I, uh-huh. I feel like I only get that from you know, these kinds of practices, the effortless ones. Um, So it seems like for me, at least in what I've done, it stops just a a little bit short of that. And it's merely just the noticing of the phenomena. And and rarely is there a suggestion to like notice where the phenomena might be coming from. That's right. I think that's right. And and you'll see that often, um, you know, just from many places you'll say, well, here's mindfulness meditation, and it'll be, okay, just watch your breath, and when your mind wanders, bring it back to your breath, and that's mindfulness meditation. So that is kind of the first stage of deliberate mindfulness, but and it does you know, provide a certain calm effect that is positive. So it's not that you know, <laughs> deliberate mindfulness is not positive. It is very positive. It's just the preliminary practice that's meant to start you off by calming your system, which is why it's called shamatha, or which is translated as calm abiding or peaceful abiding, uh, which is one-pointed attention, watching your breath or focusing on an object. But that's not the whole, uh, that's just the beginning. And it's been taken, you know, as symptom relief and stress management, like MBSR, um, and it does deliver some symptom relief, um, but it doesn't get to the root of suffering and anxiety and um, neurosis and and trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think that may be the case. Um, it's yeah, it's an interesting tension there because you have so many people, including myself, spending so much of our time in deliberate mindfulness practice, going on retreats. Um, And yeah, maybe we can just dwell a little bit there on what the benefits of that kind of practice is. I I know for myself personally, and they're called sort of insight practices, I know that when you spend five or seven days, you know, angrily or happily sitting on a pillow, um, you do develop some insights about like maybe historic or deeply conditioned thought patterns that you maybe didn't know were there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably also this sense of a community that you might build yep. around a deliberate practice, which is probably supportive. Yeah. Um, 
And that's not a, you know, that's kind of like any retreat. So that's not particularly deliberate or, you know, you could do on a yoga retreat, you go on a, so as you say, the insight is called insight meditation. It's, it's usually meant to refer to the insight that there is no separate sense of self. Mm. But I think what most people, when they focus on doing breath practice, uh, they'll, you will start to notice um, you know, those states of mind or like <clears throat> judging mind, uh, angry mind, um, and, and then certain flavors or patterns or moods that just come up during those five days that are like, oh yeah, right. These come up most of my life, you know? So mm -hmm. these, the, these are the ones that they're the same ones, you know, it's not, it's not a big insight into, uh, depth. Now, the other thing is that is a contrast is in the five day retreats in deliberate mindfulness, you kind of use this one point of attention on your breath, you let everything else come and go. So you're not. And so uh, Willoughby Britton, who's a, uh, who's a researcher from Brown University, uh, did a study where she found that 40% of people who go on five-day retreats um, have a negative experience, what she calls dark night experience, because uh, when you kind of let go of that uh, ego <clears throat> center uh, in meditation, which is kind of the second stage, uh, you also let go of the ego defenses. <laughs> so what happens is people get flooded by the unconscious and they have no new operating system to have a capacity to um, to uh, be with what's arising because they've just deconstructed the self and the um, ego defenses. So the effortless mindfulness immediately introduces you to the solution. So it mm -hmm. says, you're not this small self or your thoughts. You're this awareness-based knowing that's embodied. Let's go to that. Awareness-based, open, in equally inside and out, aware of thoughts, feelings, and sensations. Now, when anything arises, it's arising to the new operating system, not just to the absence of the first. So it's not just the no self. It's the what's called rigpa, which is the Tibetan word for what I call awake awareness or awake consciousness, which is the nature of mind, which is this awareness-based, alert, uh, felt sense of being in a flow consciousness that is like a sky, like an ocean that's arising as waves. So you have this new capacity. So that's one of the biggest uh, you know, trauma, trauma sensitive things that I, why interestingly, it's the more advanced practice, but it's actually the safer practice. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So many of the things that you just said, first of all, yeah, I thought, I didn't know that insight was mostly about that one sort of singular insight mm -hmm. of the non-self, which I think I didn't really, uh, 
you know, spend much time accessing. It was more just about like, oh, I guess I, you know, I do like um, rain or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But also this whole dark night of the soul. I mean, I, yeah. I've been on, you know, four or five retreats at this point and I, I've definitely, especially the most recent one I went on, had some of the most challenging times of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like a Tuesday from like 8.30 a.m. Yeah. to like 4 p.m. was truly some of the most painful like and most intense, I should say, mental experiences of my life. Yep. Um, and I, I guess the way I look at it, um, and I guess had I been more um, sort of had a, an easier time accessing this kind of awake awareness, the self energy perhaps would have um, helped me along a little bit sooner. But I, I had this tremendously powerful mental storm for most of the day. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it passed. Yeah. And I look at that, I, I guess my so the way I was giving it a sort of silver lining was like, Oh, look, hard things eventually end. Yeah, like I got right. to see that. But yeah, very, I mean, very difficult. Yes. Yeah. And that, you know, that's the other insight is what's called a rising and passing or there's no solid self. There's everything comes and goes. Um, so that, you know, uh, what's called a, a Nietzsche is change. And then Anatta is no self. And those are the insight. And then suffering is the third one, Dukkha. <laughs> so those are the three insights into our life is suffering as it is. And, and, the we start to the first two steps are a Nietzsche, everything comes and goes, which is what you realized. Oh, that just didn't stay. That wasn't hell forever. That was, you know, that was here and now it's gone. And then the next one is that <clears throat> the self is not a solid, that there's a thought. I am thinking this thought, but there's no I in the thought. You can be the mindful witness that's aware I am thinking this thought. And it rises, I am either as an automatic thought, I am thinking, or you can intentionally, I am thinking this thought. And then what remains is either a point of view, awareness-based mindful awareness, or spacious big sky awareness, or third level is kind of embracing self-awareness, self-energy from this kind of um, open-hearted, open mind, open-hearted presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Because yep. um, I, I found myself a lot of times, even during like an instructed, deliberate mindfulness practice, I just won't pay attention to the teacher at all. And I'll just kind of sit there um just doing nothing maybe yeah. my mind is just thinking about things it wants to think about or maybe i'm trying on the choiceless awareness of just noticing things right is is this idea of maybe this choiceless awareness meditation is it somewhere in the middle or is yeah. it still very much like this sort of single like point of view um, no that's yeah that's very good that's a that's exactly right that's it's in the middle so <clears throat> first there's we walk around as if we're a small self located in the middle of our head that it feels like I think therefore I am. And it feels like that's where attention is coming from. Sound comes there. Sight come, goes from there. Thought goes is in that territory. And there's some kind of 
someone looking out of these binoculars of our eyes, you know, as if we are in there like a little homunculus, like a little mini me uh, that's inside. Then um, there's this insight or this calming of that and then insight that those are states that come and go. Those are thoughts. You can break them down like with a microscope into thoughts, feelings, sensations. There's no solid me in there. There's just this mindful witness from usually a point of view that I usually ask, well, are you aware of your thoughts coming and going? Yes. Okay. So where are you aware from? And people will point to different areas like back of my head, top of my head, inside my head, little above my head. But it's there's a, just like there's a point within your head looking at your breath. When you focus on your breath, you usually can find that area that you're focusing from. Now you're confined where are you focusing? And then choiceless awareness or big sky mind um, opens that view. It, it pulls the camera back so that, you know, the choiceless awareness. Okay, so now I'm aware from choiceless awareness. And within that, like birds and clouds, thoughts, feelings, and sensations are just coming and going within that. So then the the next move is to see if there's even a boundary to that. If you can kind of look back to see who's behind that camera of the sky and you just kind of realize, okay, it's boundless. And then is the cloud or the energy coming and going in my awareness or is it feel like it's actually made of the awareness at the subtlest level? That first vibration sensation, is it more like ocean of awareness that thoughts and feelings are made of awareness that pattern into energy. So space, energy, and form are connected in this consciousness. So when you feel that, then you kind of drop in while remaining open and you don't feel like a detached uh, either pure awareness or witnessing consciousness. It's what I call, say, don't get caught in the witness protection program. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw that in the book. So that 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 pun or joke there is yeah. about the ego being protected, I guess. Um, or yeah, and also it's it's actually that that second stage, as you said. It's the movement from the point of view mindful witness to the choiceless awareness is a witness consciousness. So it's a bigger witness. So you can say, okay, well, now I'm, that's the highest form of meditation is that choiceless awareness, but it's actually a detached, you're disembodied. You're not related to your body or emotions. You're slightly dissociated which gives you relief for, for a short period of time from being too identified. But now the question is what's called the, in Buddhism, the non-dual perspective is, can you be that uh, awake awareness, spacious awake awareness that's contentless and feel it arises as contents so the ultimate and the relative reality are not two. And when they're not two, then there's kind of this self 
<clears throat> this compassion and feeling toward from this bigger sense of self that's you know has no point of view to the your own body and your emotional <clears throat> capacity and your parts of then we start talking about psychology where we find that the thoughts pattern thoughts worldview emotions pattern into parts of us like a judging judging part or a part that doesn't feel good enough shame based i'm not good enough i'm worthless part it's actually a pattern it's not just a thought or a story it's actually a in a you know a, a energetic pattern that needs to be treated as such psychologically at least rather than just kind of spiritually um ray gunned away you know by saying it's nothing it's just mm -hmm. thoughts yeah yeah that's a really that's a really good point um i i remember it's it's and i think it's highlighted by the difference between meditating with like sort of ordinary mental phenomena, which is like mm -hmm. likes and dislikes and yep. discomfort and pleasure and meditating with like very difficult things. Yeah. Um, like very entrenched stories or patterns or like what you said, shame based or I'm not good enough because I have found that when I'll ask uh, like a traditional meditation teacher, what do I do with this, this stuff, this obsessive, this, you know, really dark things, mm. you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll hear, well, you know, just notice it or, right. um, you know, you found the dukkha, there it is. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I really appreciate the way that this kind of work is not just, um, merely another way of, of finding peace, but it's a, it's a way into like really truly and deep psychological healing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that part stuff. I just yeah. one 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 more question before sure, we get sure. there, because we're talking about attention and awareness. Yeah. So, like, if you're doing a body scan, yeah, a traditional body scan, and you find yourself attending to the feelings in your hand, right? In that case, you know, like you were describing, you're uh, you're up top. You got the binoculars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're looking. You're looking at your hand. Yeah. Um, but there's a there's a, a subtle shift required here i think and it's um it's similar but different which is instead of it being this relationship of you versus your hand and this might sound sort of like hokey or or hippy dippy but you are the the shift is to become the consciousness in your hand or to become awareness in your hand instead of noticing it is is that right yeah so so it's interesting because again it's it a lot of the the key to this whole thing is that it's a it's it's not intellectual and it's not using our usual pedagogy or our way of knowing or our way of uh being aware so it, it's rather than you know just you know becoming aware of the consciousness in your hand there's a way that i do some exercises where one of the key things we do is is feel like the premise is that awareness is this uh spacious awake field but the way it focuses because it's like a field 
or an ocean. The way it focuses is by being a wave in one part of the ocean. So rather than the ocean needing to focus from a wave in your head to your hand, the awareness unhooks from your head and feels the field from like a light, you know, like a globe of light or a wave down through your throat. So now you're aware of your throat from your throat. And then you drop and let awareness be centered in the field and now in your body, in your shoulder. And then you would follow the awareness down to your bicep and become aware of the space, the aliveness, and the awareness in your elbow. And then feel that the subject and object is happening in your forearm and then feel the location of awareness and experience, direct experience is from the field of awareness all around and within your hand. So I did that very quickly, uh, but there's, you know, guided practices like that on my uh, mobile meditation that once you realize, oh, I can do that intentionally, but it's not me that's doing it. It's not it's actually awareness is moving itself down through and re-centering, decentering, and then recentering. In this case, locally. Uh, but the other practice, you could do the same thing. You could drop your awareness down through your jaw, to your throat, and then into your body, and then into your heart space. So mm-hmm. once you're in your heart space, you can feel that you're spaciously aware of your heart space, from your heart space. And that's another kind of beginning of a practice that I do in more depth. Um, but it's it's really the, the, the you know, what Taoism, what uh, most of these contemplative, kind of advanced, beautiful, poetic (laughs) descriptions are actually what I spent my time doing is kind of trying, trying the practices as they're described, and then kind of reverse engineering them. So I figure out how are they put together? What is what is it? Are there any other ways to get there? Where are they going? What what's the end result? What's in the way? And then kind of try to create um, simple, effective ways to get out of the prison of this current uh, chattering mind consciousness, small ego bind, and shift into this already awake consciousness that then includes the ego as one of the helpful functional parts. So it's not killing the ego or fighting the ego. It's just saying, all right, the ego is a function that helps me remember things, but it's become the ego identity and it needs to be semi-retired and returned back to its being a part of me. And now I need to upgrade to this felt sense, bigger capacity of awareness that's more open-minded, open-hearted, 
and let me feel how to do that. So all of the practices I have, and the reason they're called glimpses, is because they're not meditation states, they're a glimpse into the already awake, embodied, interconnected consciousness that you just shift in moments into this, be this, move from here, talk from here, walk from here, then you lose it. And then no big surprise, you just learn to re-recognize and slowly, slowly a new habit is formed. Mm-hmm. Right, and that that kind of habit of inhabiting uh, this more global um, self-based awareness is mm-hmm. is what can help, I, I suppose, when you're doing shadow work or parts work or yeah. working with trauma or um, deeply held sort of um, difficult patterns. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I'm assuming I'm putting this out there for you to tell yeah. me if it's, if it's right or not, but so, you know, you can, you can do the IFS work where you work with a therapist and, and they go through the things that come up for you and, um, help you identify parts that need soothing attention, et cetera, et cetera. But I suppose from the other angle, if you spend time cultivating this habit, which I think is a good word to use there, of uh, embodying this awareness, then perhaps when you do meet these difficult parts, you're you're like, oh, I know what to do here. You know, mm-hmm. I'll bring in the self. Is that sort of the two ways that I guess the this sort of effortless mindfulness and sort of IFS therapy can kind of meet? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there, it's just a little bit about the starting point uh, and what's emphasized. Um, so. You know, when, when uh, um, you know, I'd already been doing kind of a version of IFS in working in clinics and in my own work. Um, so when my wife, Paige, went like 12 years ago to hear Dick Schwartz do a weekend workshop, she came back and said, look, this guy is doing doing what you're doing except upside down, you know. And so what she meant is he really focuses on um, – Let's get the parts to unburden, to let the self be able to be uh, more primary. And I'm like, wow, that's what that takes a long time. It does work, but uh, you have to have the premise, which he does, that there's the same self, self energy, self leadership, but you're doing kind of more traditional therapy in order to hopefully find the self. Whereas I'm saying, well, the self's already here. So let's go find the self. And then the self, it's easier to unburden the parts if you're the self, because there's already that language going on. So Dick and I kind of played that out a couple different retreats, uh, doing it one way and the other, which was, which is fun. And, um, yeah, so it's just two different approaches do you start with. So the classic IFS thing, just for those who are listening, is uh, it starts with, and I do this too, uh, you know, are, are you aware of a emotional situation or mental uh, frustration? And then where are you aware of it in or around your body? And so what is it and what are you aware of? So I'm aware of 
feeling, you know, anxious and where are you feeling it? I'm feeling it in my throat and my head. Well, is there a boundary to it? Yeah. It's more intense here and here, but not as much in my shoulders or so. Okay. So there it is, right? So can you thank that part for wanting to, you know, come forth and thank it for, you know, being anxious for your good, that it's it's worried about something, it's trying to help you somehow. Can you just thank it for all its hard work and ask it if it can give you some space? So there's the move that I take a little further than than Dick Schwartz takes. So you ask for some space. Can you ask the part for some space? Now are you aware of that part more clearly? Yes. So now you're in either a mindful witness, as we talked about before, or you're in self, which is not as likely uh, just by that one move, uh, or you're in a, a part, another part, like a smart, kind uh, part. Yes, I'm aware of it, you know, the way that you can just split off in your mind, um, or you're aware from kind of subtle body energy, which is kind of you're merged a little bit and feeling kind of uh, connected. So then Dick will then ask, well, can you get to know that part and ask, how do you feel toward that part? And if you say something like, I feel sorry for it, he'll say, okay, so, so then let that part know that you feel compassion for it. Whereas I'll say, <laughs> if you're sorry for it, then that shows that's kind of pity or that's kind of uh, you know, a kind of compassion, maybe with a small C, can you be aware of the part and the, and can you be aware of the, of both those parts? Who are both of those parts occurring to? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you on that. I think, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think even though it might be the case, and I think what you're pointing out is that the part that feels sad or sorry for the other part is like still a part, right? It's not self yes. yet. Um, there's still something very sweet about yeah. um, recognizing this difficulty in a new way, in a yes, novel way. Absolutely. You know, offering compassion. It feels like some healing is taking place there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. On and the on the road to you know right. real self or whatever. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, but the, the I would say the thing about that is, is that of parts-based or, you know, Jungian and Gestalt and uh, psychosynthesis and, uh, you know, they all do that move without ever having a self. So that's good therapy. So mm -hmm. that's good, uh, you know, Jungian calls it personas and uh, you know, Gestalt has the part sit in another chair. So you get that space there. You have that part sit there and then you come over and sit here. Then you dialogue with it. So you do it outside yourself. So that's wonderful. It's great therapy. The thing, again, that, you know, deliberate mindfulness reduces stress. Uh, traditional parts-based therapy uh, brings compassion and healing the thing is there is is there this other next level that goes to the root of stress and that goes to find that 
capacity, which can be with, as you said, the really difficult, like the first part that shows up, the anxiety in your throat, may be protecting like a really traumatic exile in your body that when that shows up, you may not be able to separate from it if you're still in the, you know, can you just ask it for some space and step back because it will take over your body with adrenaline, cortisol, fear, fight, flight. Mm. And you're like, well, can you ask for space? Yes. Okay. Are you do, are you aware of it now? No, I'm, <laughs> it's me, you know, <laughs> right. It doesn't want any space. It doesn't want any space. It wants to run, fight, you know, kill, you know, eat, eat you know, go, you know, cry, yell, blame, shame, you know, blame. It's my fault. It's their fault. You know? So, yeah. So this capacity then has, can be with, you know, those root causes of suffering, you know, since that's the Buddhist thing about suffering and rather than just <clears throat> noting it or, you know, being aware of it, well, what does it want? You know, what is it? <laughs> You know, what can it can it be unburdened, which is a wonderful uh, phrase from IFS, because it's not that it's some of it's bad, like, let's say, a critic, you know, the, the judge or the critic or the, you know, which is one of the mental most, you know, strong mental sufferers that most people have as a strong judge or critic or um, so that critic is trying you know, that one of the wonderful things about IFS is it says there's no bad parts. So they all have ultimately their intention is to help and to find love and safety. And they're just confused or young. So this critic is like, you, you can't do that. What's wrong with you? It's like a overly anxious parent, you know, in your head that's, you know, got a lot of rules. But if it's burden, which is, well, you ask it, you know, well, what, what are you afraid of would happen if I did, you know, relax and not work so hard? Well, you'd be, you know, you'd be fired, you'd be homeless, then you'd be on the street, then you'd get sick and you'd die, which is pretty much, if you really hear the, you know, the last few things about most parts, that's what they're they will go to. And um, I guess they all go to the same meetings. They all go to the same meetings because they're about, their confusion is usually about I'm my body and survival. So they're going to be like, well, you're going to get fired. If you're fired, you're, you can't pay your bills. If you can't pay your bills, you're homeless. If you're homeless, you're going to get sick. If you're sick, you die. And so it's all that is like, I've got to work hard, you know, certainly has other conditioning from parents and society and all that. But um, if you can say, well, thank you so much for helping me, you know, learn how to, you know, work, you know, how to do my job, my, the, the, the profession I have, uh, and to show up, um, what would it be like if you, if there was a self here that would know and would be in charge of when you work and when I relax, would it be okay if you just, what would you want to do if you didn't have to do that? And this part acts like a person. So this is the kind of strangely radical 
experience that the that even the psychological people want to you know make it a persona or subpersonality at most or a mind state but the spiritual people are like no that's just a thought that's a story that's a feeling that's a you can that's only a pattern of energy but the way when you meet it as if the way that it thinks it is and you say well what would you want to do if you didn't have to be in charge of getting me to work so hard what if there was a self a big self that was loving and capable and smart and aware of everything what would you want to do and the part will usually say you don't even give it it's not like you're talking for it it'll go like well i'd go play you know <laughs> mm-hmm. like, you know pet a dog pet a dog i would i would be happy you know they say okay well let's try that you know how do you like that how do you you know and so all of a sudden this role or this gets derolled or unburdened and yet it still has some discriminating intelligence about you know, like, okay, uh, if you're going to get this done today, you probably should start now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It, it's a, it's not a way of just completely marginalizing or marginalizing any of your faculties. It's just a way of learning the truth of 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 you being more than just them or or right. being only them. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's that's such a key, as you said before. Um, that insight from insight meditation that, you know, that it comes and goes, and this insight that you mentioned as well, that, oh, you can have some space and there's some compassion for this, which is no longer you, it's part of you. So it's not nothing, but it's not you. There's this middle category. It's like, oh, am I, are you, are you, am I sad? Well, I could say yes, or I could say, if I step into self, oh, there's a part of me that's sad. You know, am I anxious? Yeah, yes. My body's got adrenaline. Or is there part of me that's anxious and part of me that's actually excited and like looking forward to this thing that's making me anxious that I'm like, you know, going on into a meeting and doing a presentation or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there's a part of me that's anxious and there's part of me that's, excited and there's part of me that's like i got this right oh there's three parts oh and who's aware of those three parts oh i am and is that self anxious that self is never anxious but it's connected it's not detached from a part that may be anxious so it's got a connection to some anxiety and to your body yeah, I, I sort of wonder a little bit about that distinction or that that sort of line in the sand because maybe sometimes if you're inhabiting this feeling of self and there doesn't seem to be any like discursive thoughts, it's almost as if you're not connected, like you're somewhere right. else, like yes. it, you, you've forgotten some key facts about who you are because they're just not running through your head. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it does feel a bit separate. Yeah. So. Um, the one thing that I've kind of added to the IFS model. Um, So Dick calls it self, and then he divides it into self-energy and self-leadership. And self-energy has an energetic feel to it, and it has qualities of curiosity, compassion, calm. So it has kind of human 
positive qualities. So I add on the the earlier side um, what I call self-essence, which is awake awareness, which is that dimension that is timeless, content-free, spacious. But then if you just unplug from the conditioning and identification, go into that awareness, now come back like an ocean from the contentless sky to the ocean to the self-energy, but your resource with this open mind and open heart, then you can now move toward the parts of you and toward self-leadership. So mm -hmm. it's like a continuum. Got it. Um, yeah, I realize that I've held you for quite a while in conversation. Um, let me just um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, what what how you're available, you know, to people who sure. want to consume the information you're providing. So yeah. obviously, one way that they can get a look at it is by buying this book, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness. Um, and they can find you on your website, which I'll, I'll mm -hmm. put a link to, but also the Waking Up app and Insight Timer. Where where would you recommend people, you know, start looking for this kind of stuff? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's my latest book is The Way of Effortless Mindfulness. There's an audio of my first book, which is very good if you like listening to book on tape. The second book, uh, Way of Effortless Mindfulness, is that they had an actor do it. It's not as good. But the first book, which is actually a denser book, is good to listen to on audio. But the primary way now is I've developed during the pandemic a mobile meditation platform, which is you can find through my website, um, lockkelly.org. And um, you can use it on your computer or on a phone. Um, and what it does is it has some dialogues, kind of like this, with uh, which I have with other people. It has a community platform where if you get involved and find this a helpful approach, you can join some small groups. But mainly it has this daily glimpse practice. So every day there's a new glimpse that comes up, short 10-minute usually. Um, and then it has these longer in-depth courses, like an intro course that's like a sampler. So you get to try different glimpses through different doors. Um, audio, auditory people, visual people, um, kinesthetic people. And then um, it has kind of advanced trainings um, and, you know, particular um, programs. Uh, so it's got, you know, more of the recent material. And by January, uh, I've I've kind of tested it out in this form, and I'm going to come out with a an app version of it um, in January 20, 2023. But currently, this has a lot of great content. You can find it on on my website and see whether these glimpse practices are, you know, good for you. And it has some IFS style um, psychotherapy as well. Awesome. Yeah, I've definitely found the glimpses to be really, truly um, powerful in my own practice. Um, and let me just, I'll just have one sort of random question mm -hmm. before I let go of you. Um, I have a good friend who who deals with ADD, and I mm -hmm. noticed that in the introduction to your book, you yeah. mentioned that a little bit. I, I, I don't 
happen to know much about it. Yeah. But um, have these practices helped with with that kind of psychological kind of condition? Yes, there. You know, because ADD is um, some of it is a you know more of a brain functioning, like a neurological way of learning to focus and use try to use attention. So I talk about it more a little bit more in my first book, but I will also create a program for ADD. Um, and from effortless mindfulness, rather than trying to use attention from your small mind, which keeps moving, uh, you open to this wider awareness, and then you can focus from a field of awareness that isn't moving, isn't your moving mind, and then it's much easier to focus on a task or an object. Um, and it may be what you know spurred me to do this whole thing is because it gave me the ability to uh, to focus and flow, um, and it changed you know must have changed my brain. I can feel when I go back to trying to use my attentional system, and it you know it jumps around, and I'm like, oh okay, let me just shift. And the beauty of this glimpse practicing is you can intentionally shift your consciousness in the middle of your day. You don't have to sit for an hour or close your eyes or go to a quiet place. You can just, once you get a feel for it, you go like, oh, okay, now I'm trying to focus from my small mind. Okay, unhook, drop, open to the awareness, rest as the awareness. Now be aware from the awareness that includes sensation and focus from this field on what you're doing in an interconnected way. And all of a sudden, it's that's why I call it effortless mindfulness, because I can effortlessly focus. Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah. Um, I guess we owe a debt of gratitude to your ADD for, yes. for helping you somewhere <laughs> along your path <laughs> to bring true. us this teaching. Yeah, I thank, I thank that part. Well, Locke, um, there's a lot more we could get to, but yes. probably not in this conversation. But thank you so much for writing the book and, and offering what, what you've been offering us. It's been great talking to you today. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it. Yeah, really good talking to you. Glad to do a follow-up sometime.